Hello, I'm Kai Squires and welcome to Animals Are Calling, a brand new podcast from Wild Animal Protection. Each week I'll be joined by a panel of experts as we discuss the biggest issues affecting animals right now and how they affect people and the planet too. This week I am joined by Wild Animal Protection's Global Programme Director for Farming, Mark Deer, to discuss factory farming. Factory farming is the biggest cause of animal cruelty in the world. Animals under horrendous conditions are reared, transported and slaughtered in their billions in an industrial global food system driven only by greed. Our addiction to meat, fueled by failed policies, corporate greed and dishonest marketing campaigns is causing animal suffering on a massive scale, as well as driving climate change, pollution and the destruction of wild animal habitats while harming our health too. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for joining me um, on the podcast today. Um, I'd love to know more about what it is that you do as part of World Animal Protection. Well, thanks for having me here. It's um, quite excited to uh, speak with you today. Um, so my, uh, my name is Mark Dia, and I'm the Global Director for Farming for World Animal Protection. And um, I oversee our farming uh, program around the world and we are focusing on trying to transform the global food system over the next 10 years. So that's what I do. Wow, sounds like a big task. Let's start small. So could you explain to me what factory farming actually is? So factory farming um, refers to the production of animal uh, animals or animal um, production operations uh, that keep large number of animals in very intensive conditions uh, where animals are seen more as a production unit rather than individuals. Uh, the, the name of the game in factory farming is uh, prioritizing efficiency and profit. So you could imagine what that means. Um, a lot of animals in one uh, place uh, to be able to uh, minimize the costs of producing them uh, and uh, just being able to sell cheap meat. Oh, okay, so is that happening worldwide then? Is that a worldwide issue? It is. We are, uh, as human beings, uh, responsible for um, slaughtering quite a lot of land animals. Uh, that's our focus. Mm. Um, by, by some estimates, that's about 70 billion animals a year. And that's wow. just going to... Going to um, grow even larger uh, over the coming years as the world population grows. So it's happening in uh, the big production areas would be places like Latin America, in particular Brazil. Uh, the U.S. is a major um, uh, factory farming center, uh, places like China. Uh, but it's happening all over the planet. Uh, it's just that we don't really see it. Uh, but it's but it's there. I mean, anybody who um, eats uh, meat or eats uh, you know, relatively cheaper meat, eat at fast food places, has probably come in contact with uh, an animal that has been factory farmed. Well, I guess that's the thing, because going out and having meat, especially cheap meat from supermarkets, it's such a regular everyday occurrence for some people without actually realizing what that means behind the scenes. There must be animals suffering in factory farms. I think part of the problem we have today um, is that we're so far away from the food that we eat. 
we sometimes don't even know where it came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people live in cities now and um, the opportunity to see, um, uh, you know, a, a real market, I suppose, uh, is not there for a lot of people anymore. Mm. In, um, in factory farms, because the focus is on efficiency, scale, meaning as, as big an operation as possible. The, the, the industry just jams a lot of animals uh, in one place. So for instance, um, uh, chickens, uh, which I know a lot of people love to eat, mm. um, in many instances, uh, two thirds of the world's chickens um, are raised in factory farmed uh, conditions. So these chickens, we call them uh, broiler chickens. Those are the ones that are raised for meat. Um, they live their lives in, in, a, in a space that's as big as a piece of paper, wow. really. Okay. Um, what, like, an, like A4 size, A5 size? What are we talking? About A4 size. Wow. Um, and, I, and I would even argue that... Um, for a lot of the chickens, if you put them in a microwave, they probably have more space when they're in the microwave than oh, yeah. they had when they were living. Gosh, that's that is actually shocking. Like you say, it's such a you know that's such a big price to pay for what is essentially cheap meat. So, have you yourself, Mark, had firsthand experience of seeing what these factory farms look like? I have. Um, in the course of our work, we, we go out there, we, we speak to a lot of people, uh, we speak to producers, we speak to uh, workers, um, and when you visit these facilities, um, w when, I was, when I was younger, uh, the advertising for products like meat products or, or milk, they would portray a farm as something that has green grass, you know, the sun shining, there's a tree and animals in the field. But the reality is quite different. Um, these places are really factories. They really look like factories. They're, they're big sheds. Uh, the last time I went into a facility was a chicken farm, uh, if I could even call it um, a farm in that sense, uh, based on what I understand of what a farm should be. And um, you don't have farmers in there, you have workers. Um, and in this place, it's a long shed with 20, 30,000 chickens uh, in one space. Uh, they don't even see sunlight. Uh, the air is artificial, it's, it's, uh, it's pumped in. Uh, the feeding system is all automated. Um, and, you know, the, the worker would come in uh, a couple of times a day just to check on things. But um, really, it's, it's, it's really just a factory there. there. There's no sense of an individual animal. Uh, and there's no opportunity for these animals to um, express natural behavior. And, and, and chickens, pigs, they're all intelligent. They're sentient. They, um, uh, they have feelings. And um, it's, it's just not happening for them uh, all throughout their lives in, in these factory farms. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how that made you feel to see that firsthand. It's um, it, it's really difficult to um to imagine. Um, there's so many problems um in these factory farms. Uh, just just going back to chickens. Uh, a couple of decades ago, uh, in the fifties, a standard meat chicken would weigh about less than a kilogram. Uh, at about 56 or 60 days um, of, uh, 
of growing uh, before they take into the slaughterhouse to be to be uh, to be eaten. Nowadays, just just very recently, up in, um, up until 2019, a commercial meat chicken would weigh about more than four kilos at that same age. So that's more than four. You know that that's a lot. And uh, you could imagine that a chicken uh, that has been uh, genetically selected to grow that fast in that uh, short a period of time, when they're growing up, uh, just before they're going to slaughter, a lot of them can't even stand on their own legs. So it's um, it's it's really difficult to to see that, um, and it's um, it, it just got it's it's uh, it's just got to stop. Well, we've been talking a lot about um, meat, but I suppose this also applies to eggs, milk, any sort of dairy products. Indeed. Um, e- even for what we call uh, cage-free eggs, uh, there's also a lot of challenges with that. Um, in many places, it's all about marketing. Um, the The problem with uh, dairy, I've, I've, I've seen um, uh, dairy operations um, such as in India, where in um, like the whole milk that people get, it's it's just it's absolutely horrible. It's um, uh, if I could describe it to you, a lot of these cows or buffaloes, where they get the milk from, um, a lot of them are in the cities, uh, and space is at a premium, and some of these cows are are really in a very confined space, um, and they're tethered. Uh, most of their lives, uh, the, the 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 horrible thing is that they that they um, that they pee in the same place, that they uh, put out their waste in the same place, in the same place where they're milked for, you know, where where milk is uh, taken from them. So um, a lot of these animals just can't move around, um, and that's day in day out. It's not like they're they're put out to be able to walk at some time in the day. It's it's just um, it's a life uh, of uh, suffering from from birth until they're not useful anymore for human beings. Well, I think everything you're saying, it makes complete sense that you would just give up meat, give up milk and the rest of it. However, we both know that there are a lot of people that do that. Um, so to play devil's advocate here, why should people care about ending factory farms? I, I would argue that at the very at the very um at the very basic level the very moral level we shouldn't be accepting animal cruelty uh, full stop this needs to end however the way we have been raising animals uh, to eat uh which has now led to uh, the factory farming industry wherein everything's about minimizing cost maximizing profit has created other problems that affect us in many other ways so if we would look at, um, in many, many places uh, where, where there are factory farms, uh, where there's uh, intensification of um, animal agriculture, in places like 
Latin America, in the U.S., in China. When you jam a lot of animals in one place, that's the perfect breeding ground for the next pandemic. And you have very, uh, in a way, a weakness in terms of the genetics. Of course, it's, it, there's no diversity because they're bred specifically to be uh, slaughtered uh, and maximizing profit, as I mentioned earlier. Um, in, in, in 2020, a United Nations report uh, found that intensive farming or factory farming was responsible for more than half of all the infectious diseases that have transferred from animals to humans since 1940. So diseases coming from farm animals, especially from factory farms, that's not unusual. We've had uh, bird flu, we've had swine flu, uh, and a lot of people don't even remember we had a pandemic before of um, of swine flu, uh, not more, a little bit more than ten years ago. That that swept all over the globe. It wasn't as bad as this one, but it does happen. So unless we are able to address uh, the intensification of uh, animal farming, this is going to happen again. Um, the, the other the other public health issue that uh, people don't really know about is what we call uh, superbugs. Uh, that's the common name. Uh, but it's really about uh, the resistance of microbes, particularly bacteria, uh, to antibiotics. Why is that important? Um, you know, if, if, you, if you recall when you were sick, uh, a doctor would give you an antibiotic, right? And the doctor would say, uh, take this for seven days but please don't miss out on a dosage. And because if you do, the microbes, the bacteria in your body uh, will start to uh, establish a resistance to that particular antibiotic. And what happens there is that uh, the next time you get sick or somebody else gets sick, then it's going to be much harder to kill that, that bug or that microbe or bacteria. 75% of the world's antibiotics goes to farm animals, which is a huge number um, if you really think about that. So we are now, uh, according to the World Health Organization, in the middle of a global pandemic of antimicrobial resistance or AMR or superbugs. It's very silent. It's affecting a lot of people uh right now and it's going to get worse unless we are able to address um issues of factory farming and the use of antibiotics so th these are some of the, uh, the the problems that we have with factory farming there's so much more um but but it's it's definitely something that's uh, affecting us uh, in other ways obviously the big question at the moment is the climate crisis, I'm guessing factory farming also plays into that? Indeed. Um, it's, uh, it is now becoming quite an issue. Um, we could start with the dairy and meat industry uh, with cows. Um, for, for a place to be able to support a lot of cows uh, for the meat industry, and also for the dairy industry, you'll have to clear a lot of land. And land is a limited resource, of course. Um, and let's just go into places like uh, Latin America, in particular the Amazon. You know, it's a forest we all love and we all depend on. Uh, and it's very important for the global environment. 
the, um, the clearance of habitat for crops or pasture has been the biggest factor in biodiversity loss over the 50, uh, over 50 years, you know, over half a century. It's still happening today. If, if you would look at uh, what's happening just this week, uh, we are looking at an area near the Amazon. It's called the Cerrado. Uh, there's about 45,000 fires right now happening uh, over there. And a lot of these fires are from clearing up forest areas to be able to make way for new um, uh, areas uh, that they would like to uh, plant soya uh, for. And a lot of that soya goes into animal feed for chickens and pigs um, and, uh, and cows. So there's, um, there's a massive, uh, climate, uh, cost to that. Once you start clearing forests, you're, 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 um, uh, creating carbon emissions. Once you're burning, uh, forests, you're creating carbon emissions. Once you have put in pasture, the ability of that area to be able to absorb carbon emissions is much, much less. Um, so Factory farming, in many uh, in many instances, creates a massive uh, cl uh, climate cost. Uh, just even pigs and chickens. If you look at the whole life cycle of uh, factory farmed uh, uh, chickens and pigs, because they are also dependent on monocropping or you know like soya coming from areas where they cleared up forests, then that's not necessarily incorporated into the cost of um, that meat. So we are trying to elevate that and make that more visible. And that's part of the work that we're, we're doing at World Animal Protection right now. That's really interesting as well, what you're saying about chickens, because often something I hear is, well, if I eat chickens, it's better for the environment than eating cows. But I suppose what you're saying is people aren't seeing, like you say, the fires happening um outside of their own country and therefore maybe assuming wrong yeah if you look at the um the cost of chicken uh the inputs towards uh factory farm chicken as a huge percentage of that is actually on the feed uh so up to 80 percent um of the cost of your chicken is coming from the feed a lot of times that feed is coming from uh, crops like soya. And a lot of times that soya is coming from areas that have been cleared uh, to be able to uh, provide for soya crops. And when that clearing has happened previously, uh, then that's a lot of carbon emissions. Um, if you look at the, the, the data, uh, up to 25% of the global carbon emissions is actually coming from the agriculture sector which means that that is a huge um, uh, piece of the pie. If we do not solve that piece of the pie on the climate problem, we're not going to reach our climate targets. That's, it's, a, it's as simple as that. And I think one tricky question that I think for everyone is always quite hard to approach is like finances. And you've talked quite a lot about um, finance systems. Firstly, do you mind explaining what, finance systems are and how that plays into the issue of factory farming? So the finance system, we sort of separate that into two areas. One is the development banks and the other is private finance. So the development banks, uh, those are the uh, banks that are funded by governments uh, in, in places like in Asia, 
Uh, we have the Asian Development Bank in Africa. There's something similar in Latin America. There's something similar. And those banks fund development projects and sometimes uh, factory farming operations uh, or expansion uh, in different places. Uh, the private finance would be your private banks, would be your insurance, um, mm. wherein these are banks that are uh, mm. that exist for profit. So they put out loans um, for investors to be able to build uh, big development uh, projects such as uh, factory farms. So what we're trying to do with that is um, incorporate uh, the element of risk in factory farm investments. So what we would like to achieve over the coming uh, uh, next 10 years really is that factory farms would be considered as what they call a stranded asset. What does that mean? That you don't want to invest in it for sure because it's not going to be something that's um, a good place to put your money in because it needs to end. I mean, I think we all uh, know that there's a broad recognition that it does need to end. Uh, the question is when. Uh, so that's that's what we're doing with finance. sense I'm getting is actually this is such a huge worldwide issue so we've got animals on the ground being cruelly treated we've got products being bought at cheap prices this is affecting the climate this is affecting people's health animals health you know and it all seems to be uh created almost just like money basically it comes from money and people with a lot of money it just seems like a really big task to take on. Do you think that people's attitudes are already changing? Are you seeing a change? I believe so. If, if you really look at what has been happening over the past couple of decades, I would even claim that maybe 15, 20 years ago, um, if you were a vegetarian or you said, oh, I don't want meat in what I'm eating right now, uh, or you go to the grocery and look for um, alternative products, you would never find it in many, many places, especially in, in, um, uh, in the less uh, developed economies. Now you see them everywhere. It's almost something normal. And we sort of take that for granted. The market for um, uh, protein alternatives to meat is already there. Uh, that, wasn't the, that wasn't the case before. So things are changing. I think uh, there's a full acknowledgement that the problems that factory farming is providing uh, to the global uh, economy, uh, to public health, to environment, is now becoming visible. And people are starting to shift their choices, their personal choices, uh, to try to um, make a contribution to the solutions um, uh, to this problem. So things are shifting and I see that shifting and it's actually accelerating in many parts of the world. Yeah, that's a thing. Like nowadays you can even easily find milk replacements as an example in supermarkets. Um, and there's always cheap options as well. I guess cheap options with beans, which supply protein. So like you say, it's actually far more accessible now than certainly I'd say five, ten years ago. Oat milk's my favourite, just putting it out there. Leading on from there, as you say, attitudes are changing. So why is now the time for us to start making changes and start trying to take on this large global system? Well, I think a lot of things are converging. 
let's start from uh, what we talked about earlier. Uh, let's talk about the climate. I think we need to acknowledge that unless we are able to halt the spread and growth of factory farming, we are not going to achieve um, our climate targets. It's as simple as that. Uh, with a growing population, uh, wherein meat or eating meat is considered as uh, progress, as that you, you've made it in the world if you're able to eat uh, meat three times a day, um, is, is, is there. It's happening. So that, that mindset uh, needs to shift. The other issue that we have with factory farming is public health. Um, as, as we know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Factory farming is contributing to the, the possibility of another pandemic uh, uh, that, might, that might happen in the future. So this needs to be addressed. So I think um, th just on those reasons alone, I think it's, um, it's sufficient for us to really uh, take a look at factory farming and say that this is not sustainable. We cannot continue on this growth uh, of factory farming. It needs to taper off uh, pretty soon and in the future start to um, uh, diminish. There are other ways to feed the population. We do not need factory farming for food security. Um, and uh, as I've mentioned at the start of our conversation, the very fact that factory farming is the biggest source of animal cruelty on the planet is not something we should tolerate. So a lot of things are coming together. There's much more awareness. Uh, it's much easier to get information nowadays. So I think there's a massive opportunity for us uh, in the coming uh, few years for us to really elevate this issue and uh, work together to be able to um, address this. Yeah, and what, do you, what would you say the future would look like if we didn't do anything, if we just let it carry on as it is? Well, um, that's a bit scary, um, actually, if we, if, we, um, if we let things happen um, without uh, addressing those issues. There will be less land for, um, if factory farming is going to grow, it's going to, it's going to eat up the small farmers. It's already happened and it's already happening. We will lose the opportunity for uh, being able to support local farmers and more distributed type of food production. We're going to have big companies basically controlling the food we eat, and we will have uh, very limited choices. We'll have more problems with our health. Um, a lot of people right now in many places, uh, especially in the more uh, industrialized uh, uh, countries, already have massive health problems because of the way their diets. Uh, and a lot of that is about eating meat. The, the, the stuff you find in, in factory farmed meat is, is not healthy for you. Um, I think that if we don't address this problem, our, our um, climate um, issues are going to accelerate. Um, and that's not something that we would want. We want a livable planet for all of us, including all the animals. There's so many things that I think um, are going to make it very difficult for us uh, as a species, as human beings. Uh, to live on this planet if we don't address um, uh, the growth of factory farming. That's fantastic. Um, so, Mark, each week um, I ask the guest to provide some small ways in which our listeners can can help the cause. 
So in order to help eliminate factory farming, what would you suggest that the everyday person could do? You know, the, the interesting thing, we have a saying uh, where I come from um, is that um, the way to someone's heart is through their stomach, really. Everybody needs to eat. Uh, we all eat. We eat every day. It's, uh, it's a part of life. It's like it's, it's breathing, it's drinking water, and it's eating. It's a fundamental thing we do on a daily basis. And for everyone to make those choices on what they eat, where they source it, is one of the biggest things that they can do. I would, I would, um, I would uh, recommend and I would uh, encourage people to, for those that do eat meat today, eat less. Maybe um, have one or two days in the week wherein you're going to try something new and um, maybe eat more of a plant-based diet. Um, aside from that, I would uh, recommend and I would encourage people to support their local uh, food production, their local farming. You know, there's, uh, the world has changed today. There's now access to different types of uh, products that you can get online uh, and you can support local communities around you. Uh, that grow uh, food for you know a, a limited um, number of people. Support them. Uh, try to support those markets. A lot of the food coming from groceries, you, you, you probably have seen it already. You see a piece of fruit that took a couple of thousand kilometers to get to your grocery shelf. That's not sustainable either. So I think you um, you know just eat local, support local, eat less meat. Uh, uh, try out new plant-based foods. Um, and of course, be aware. Um, there, there, there's, it's so easy to get information nowadays. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of information and um, uh, keep yourself informed. So Mark, just before we finish, here are some fun quick-fire questions. What is your favorite animal and why? It's an unconventional answer, I suppose. I, I really like ducks for some reason. So um, it, where we are um, here in Asia, uh, there's a big uh, uh, duck uh, farming industry. So, um, but I like ducks, so um, I, like, um, I, la- I like them. I don't like them in the farm, of course, but uh, uh, I like ducks. Yeah, they are so cute. Totally agree with you there. And... Um, are there any funny experiences you've had with any farm animals? I, I would say it's um, slightly funny, uh, but um, I, I visited a pig farm once, and uh, it, pigs are very curious animals. Uh, so I had this pig follow me all over the place, and um, I couldn't, I couldn't um, get it to stop doing that. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit disconcerting because it was a pretty large pig. Um, and they could get a bit scary when they're really up close to you. But, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it was a nice experience. It was a little bit funny because um, I was, uh, I was um, uh, trying to um, shake it off, but I couldn't. <laughs> so you've got a fan in the pigs then. The pigs love you. Well, yeah. Or maybe I ate something that um, they were curious about. I really don't know. But um, the, the, the pig sort of um, had a liking to me. So um, I think that's good. Yeah, they are amazing animals, aren't they? People don't actually realise how clever they are. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about where you're based and what you love about working there? 
Um, I'm based out of the Philippines. Um, I live in Manila, so I re- work remotely. Um, I used to travel quite a lot, uh, not over the past uh, year and a half, though. Um, so, yeah, I, I love it. Um, I love it here because I'm about two hours away from a nice beach. Um, and I, I do a lot of um, outdoor stuff, uh, so there's a lot of options here. And uh, I live in a, in a country which is an archipelago. Uh, so there's about 7,000 islands that you could explore. Um, so, you know, if you, if you need to decompress and um, experience something else outside of work, um, there's, there's a lot of options to do so. Um, and we, we are an agricultural country. So um, uh, I like talking to people and I like uh, spending time uh, with, with people. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a great experience here. I would, uh, I would recommend it for people who want to uh, come and visit. Just get out of the city as soon as you can. That's what I would say. I'll definitely take you up on that offer. I would love to come and visit the Philippines. I bet there's some incredible animals there too. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, uh, I used to work on um, uh, conservation issues too. So I've, uh, I've done um, uh, stuff on raptors and, you know, like uh, eagles and uh, uh, hanging around um, uh, trees to uh, try to photograph and study them and stuff like that. Um and uh, we have a very high level of biodiversity here, especially underneath the, uh, the water. Uh, we are part of what we call the coral triangle. So we have about 400 species of coral and uh, a lot of species of fish. Um, I also teach uh, scuba diving. So it's uh, something I, um, I do from time to time. Uh, so I've, I've been pretty lucky. Wow. What a way to live. And so that leads me to my final question for you, which is... Why do you love what you do, what you do for World Animal Protection? You know, I was, um, I was working for another organization when I was approached for this job. Um, I actually had my doubts uh, uh, to, um, you know, if I would join World Animal Protection. And then I spoke to the, um, I spoke to the CEO. I said, what's, what's, uh, what's your vision? Uh, what do you guys want to do here? So he would talk to me about it. And I realized that um, factory farming really is one of the biggest uh, problems that we have in the world today. And I really felt that I could make a contribution to this and, um, and help uh, find innovative ways to be able to highlight the issue and address the issue um, in the future. And I really love working with very passionate people in this organization who really, you know, really love animals, but also love uh, the planet and people and try to connect all of that together. Because um, I think if we are all able to find um, our purpose and our calling, so to speak, uh, in trying to change whatever we can while we're still here on this planet, uh, we should do it. Um, and, and I really feel that World Animal Protection's uh, mission is something that's valuable, not only for the organization itself, but um, for the rest of the planet. That's brilliant. Mark, you've been an incredible guest. Um, I think we've all learned a lot. So thank you so much for coming and joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, it was a pleasure. That's it for this episode. Next week, in reaction to the upcoming G20 Summit, 
we'll be joined by my colleagues Gilbert Sape and James Royston. We'll be talking about what global leaders can do to tackle the wildlife trade. A reminder, you can get in touch with us with any questions or comments on our social channels. Just search for World Animal Protection on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Animals Are Calling is a podcast from World Animal Protection. The podcast is produced and mixed by Johnny Bunyan for Pardon Our French. The executive producer is Emmy Kondo. Thank you so much for listening.